There was a uh, rumor about my senior theology class in undergrad that it would ruin your faith. It did. (laughs) In the best way possible. The opening question that my theology professor posed, how does prayer work? You are people of faith. Tell me the answer. How does prayer work? And over the course of a semester, as we kind of analytically plotted out the strategic arc of prayer, and I wrestled with some assumptions about God, some assumptions about me, some assumptions about faith and spirituality, My perspective on prayer, which is my unity with God, expanded. This is why I love that line from the Mary Oliver poem, The Summer Day. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention. How to fall down into the grass, how to kneel in the grass, how to be idle and how to be blessed. You know, am I, in my experience, learning how to truly wrestle with theological ideas? That is, those metaphors we've came up with to describe what happens between us and God. In my experience, learning how to wrestle with those theological ideas has truly made all the difference. You know, I come from a a really conservative family. I mean, my upbringing was in North Georgia. (laughs) And then I traded that for Idaho and then Kansas City. Often people ask me, how did you make it out? (laughs) Thanksgiving is coming. And for me, that will mean gatherings with people who do not think the same way I do around issues of politics and uh, religion, culture. And I remember when I had a turning point around the issue of human sexuality. I had a really conservative upbringing. And I remember when I had a turning point around human sexuality, it was through theological inquiry. It was through really leaning into some assumptions that I had about God, or at least the God that looked and talked like me. And where I ended up, what where I ended up was a place where if the God that I'm thinking of or praying to despises, hates, would reject and condemn my brothers and sisters who are gay, that is not the God that I believe in. That is not a God that I would worship. I do not believe that's the God who created me. 
That, of course, brought me to a theological action point. How does this open up and change my understanding? It has wrecked my faith in so many ways to practice theological questioning. And has opened it up in so many more. I want to invite you to wrestle with this text a little bit this morning. It's a good, simple practice. Uh, how many of you are familiar with this story in the Bible? I want you to raise your hand. Consider what's going on. Jacob is wrestling with a dude. That's what the story says. Jacob's wrestling with a man. Often my brain, by which I mean my tradition, my upbringing, my know-how, corrects this story before I actually interpret it. Because through, you know, a couple decades of reading this story, I'm immediately thinking, ah, there's God. Jacob's wrestling with God. But the text doesn't say that. It says that he wrestles with a stranger, and in some versions, simply a man. Now, in religious tradition, this has meant a whole host of different things. Sometimes it's believed that it truly is just someone. That, like, Jacob has had a bad day and picks a fight with someone. I don't know about you, but there are days when I'm cranky, and I pick fights. You know what I mean? Your poor spouse probably knows what you mean. Are you trying to start a fight here? Jacob has had a bad run of it. And it's no surprise to me that at the end of the day, he's just wrestling with some stranger. Another idea is that it's an angel. In the Old Testament, you know, it's actually pretty common for someone who shows up mysteriously in the middle of the night. And then disappears in the morning and offers some sort of life-changing blessing to be an angel. So that's not much of a reach. But the name that is given, Israel, means that this person has struggled with God, which is what that name you know, literally means. Israel, struggled with God, El. Does not say struggled with angels. It's a different name. Is it God that Jacob is wrestling with? God in, in flesh? Is it Jesus? What's going on here? At least perhaps we can agree that this story isn't as straightforward as even Charles Wesley's hymn has us believe. They're like, oh, here's God again, wrestling. This is a text that is somewhere around five, four thousand five hundred maybe years old. That's old. And perhaps the most central, simple element of the story we still don't really know. Jacob's going through something. Think about the words struggle and the, and the word with. Now, in Hebrew, both of these are really interesting words. And it matters because the name that's given to Jacob is you have struggled with El, God. 
You know, um, struggle. Let's look at struggle. Struggle in Hebrew can also mean like you've conquered. Like you have um, been a ruler. That you have been a ruler with God. Which also then changes the word with, right? When I'm told in Sunday school that Jacob gets into a fight with God, that's how I interpret it, as a like negative with. But you know that that's not the only way to understand the word with. I can say that you have gone to church with your spouse, yes? If you're dragged here against your will, you went to church with your spouse, right? What does this mean? Jacob, you've struggled with God. It could mean that you are strong with God. There's another interesting tradition. You know, in, in the end of this story, let me read this for you real quick. In the end of the story, Jacob says, I will name this place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. In Hebrew, that word peniel literally means the face of God. So you can see where the tradition gets this interpretation. That Jacob receives this name, Israel, struggled with God, which is remarkably similar to the Hebrew word Yasrael, which means the one who has seen the face of God and then names this place the face of God. There's something else going on here more than just Jacob picking a fight with a stranger, more than Jacob wrestling with an angel, perhaps even more than Jacob just wrestling with God. Jacob believes that he's seen a true image of what God is like in the wrestling, in the struggle. I don't know if that has gotten enough attention over the course of our lives and over the many times we've heard this story. Yeah, the text says that he won, but I don't think he won. He struggled. And in the struggle, he started to see God differently. I don't know about you, that often is the case for me. All the way back to my senior theology class, learning how to struggle with God. I guarantee you, I did not win the theology debate about what prayer is. I did not figure it out. But in that struggle, I do feel like I've come to actually see God. You know, when we, when we first meet Jacob, beginning of his story, he says, I'm Esau. That's his brother. He's trying to trick everyone. He's trying to steal the, the birthright that's only given to a firstborn. He's just uncomfortable with who he is, with his role. This leads to truly decades of family feuds. You know what this is like. Some of you have these feuds with your family that will kind of resuscitate every Thanksgiving or every Christmas. And some of you have lost years and decades for that feud. 
And it has been years since you've even seen family members. This is Jacob's life. He has left. He has left his family. And as I've said before, in the old world, it is a big deal to leave your family. People are bound to land. And so to get up and leave, to leave your tradition, to leave your culture, is to leave your savings account. It's to leave your family business. Jacob's left everything. He's alone. He ends up going to his uncle's farm and falls in love with his cousin. Um, And then on the wedding night, he's tricked into marrying a different cousin. Tricked, yes, I know. uh, Remember, they're probably wearing like headscarves, right? So tricking is a little bit easier. But his uncle says in a jabbing barb to Jacob, You thought I would give away my firstborn? Firstborns are too valuable. Here it is again. Jacob, as a man, still hearing that like chatter in the back of his head. You're just not good enough. You're not the firstborn. You're not Esau. Even that which you want, you can't have. Jacob spends 12 years working for his kind of like schemey uncle, ends up with two wives. I don't know if that's what he wants, but that's what he has. He's become rich in the process and in the process has tried to buy happiness and he is still as broken and as desperate as ever. And now, near the end of this story, with all of the trappings of a whole new family, whole new tradition, he finds himself frightened because he hears that his brother is coming close. That Thanksgiving is here. Is he comfortable yet with who he is? It's what he believes about himself with what he believes about the God. The God who told his family that there would be this rich tradition of ancestors who blessed everyone and changed the world. And he wasn't one of the firstborn though. And has had to leave that. And is probably wondering if that God is really for his family and not for him. You remember that prayer from the song, remember Your people, remember your children, remember your promise. That is Jacob praying. So here he is, prepared to meet his brother at the holidays. And he reaches a river called the Jabbok and he sends his family away. And he goes off to pray. In a scene that often reminds me of Jesus before his death in a garden, just full of like anguish. It's no surprise then he gets into a wrestling match. It seems like he's already in one. Year after year after year wrestling. And when the stranger asks, what is your name? What does he say? I'm Jacob. After years of Wanting to be something else. 
or being told that you need to be something else. This is simply a story of someone becoming comfortable in their own skin. Becoming comfortable with the story that has been told. And in doing so, in being able to name it, he is then able to step into a new reality, a new destiny. Isn't that always the case? You know, I I have learned over the last two years that this church is good at a lot of things. This church has been a, a reconciling church for over 20 years. That's no easy task. This has become a place where we can deeply and profoundly question traditional beliefs around sexuality and gender that we thought were just locked in. We're willing to hold it up and look at it from different sides. We've, We've been willing to wrestle with it. We've wrestled with issues of politics how we vote, what it means to be both a Christian and a citizen of a country. We've wrestled with violence, with what it means to name weapons as instruments of war, to talk about the impact that that has on people, to consider what role God would have us play in this arena. We've talked about the harm that's being done to the environment, and we've wrestled with even little things like whether or not we're going to use plastic And yet, the one place that often does not seem safe is to question your Christianity, to question your faith, to question whether or not you believe this at all. How interesting. I've had... uh, around a dozen conversations in the last month. People who have said, you know, after after years and years of doing this, it is gnawing at me because I don't believe it. And if I shared publicly how I feel, I'd be cast aside. I'd feel alone. I'd feel isolated. You know, our, our church has been trying to think about what our ministry and what our impact can look like in this world. And there are so many parts of who we are as a church that I think really matter. And these are things you might expect, like helping others, um, spiritual practice, like praying, singing songs. It includes things like building community, like we don't want you to be alone when you're a part of this church. But one thing that has kind of snuck up on us is the the fourth ministry area that we value deep thinking as a theological practice. That in our effort to get to know God, to experience God, which is also to be ourselves, we trust that deep thinking matters. And so we wrestle. We wrestle with God. 
you know, in the end, I, I think that this story of Jacob might actually be true. He's wrestled for decades. And frankly, I don't care if he's wrestling a stranger, an angel, or God in flesh. Through it all, Jacob has started to see a different image of God. Uh, An image of God that can truly be wrestled with. An image of God that may, in fact, change or alter you in the process. Sure, it's a limp. Maybe questioning your faith, questioning your spiritual beliefs, questioning the Bible, questioning church and Christianity, and all of this may cause a limp for you. You might skip, you might not skip a beat. (laughs) You might have to skip when you're walking. It might change something. Prayer might get more difficult. Singing songs might become more challenging. But, as I said, in my life at least, that has truly made all the difference and has opened up how I see and experience God. I would invite you to join each other in this practice of deep thinking. You don't have to go at it alone. And my gut tells me that many of you are thinking and questioning many of the same things. So, who wants to wrestle?